Hey, hi. Hey. <laughs> wow. Good to see you. <laughs> well, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm returning from dinner with friends. Oh, okay. I live here. Oh, yeah. And you? What are you doing here? Just, I was just out for a walk. Yeah, I'm actually, I, I decided I'm moving to Paris. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure you will love it. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. You know, I thought about you the other day. Because R really? I got, yeah. My boss got a whole new album of Cold Porter songs. And that made you think about me. <laughs> I like to be thought of that way. Yeah. You're on your way home right now? Yes. Can I walk with you or I'll buy you a cup of coffee or... Okay, now it's starting to rain. No, but that's okay. I don't mind getting wet. Really? Yeah. Actually, Paris is the most beautiful in the rain. I, I feel like that, that's what I'm always saying. I, I couldn't agree more with you. Yes, it is more beautiful. By the way, my name is Gabrielle. Gil. Yes. Nice to meet you. It's a pretty name. Welcome to another episode of Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And for our final film of this second trilogy, we are looking at Midnight in Paris, a film that we might not even be able to talk about, depending on, you know, who who it is, our, our, who our listener is. Um, Woody Allen, very much a, well, somebody who was canceled. So uh, before we even get into this, can you watch his films? Are you one of those people who was able to separate yes. the art? Okay, all right, good. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure because I, I'm I'm also one of those people who is able to separate the art from the artist for the most part. Um, I, I still listen to Michael Jackson, not like actively, but I'm not going to shut his music off. Um, I think Thriller is a great album. <laughs> like how you, you qualified that? Like it's not playing constantly. <laughs> yeah, right. right. That would be weird. Uh, I've said before, where was my line in the sand? Um, so like uh, Louis C.K., uh, the, the he had that film uh, when when some revelations came out. I guess uh, at least in the Times, I, I'm, I'm, there had been rumors leading up to that. Uh, and there was I, I haven't I didn't watch this film. I don't even know if it ever became publicly no. available. I, I, um, I don't think so. I I think Louis like, bought the rights back and. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so apparently there was a sequence in there where uh, not the character that Louis C.K. was playing, but uh, I think Charlie Day like mimics uh, masturbating as a woman speaking to him over the phone, which is like one of the ah. like sort of charges against him. And I thought, okay, uh, now you're asking me directly to confront these things that you've been accused of doing, <laughs> and you're sort of reveling in it. I was that. I think that would make me uncomfortable. Which. Strange to say about Woody Allen, uh, I guess, um, especially with his relationship with Sun Yi. You know, I I just have to give credit to my mom, <laughs> I guess, on my guidance to, to Woody Allen. Uh, when that happened and he started initially dating his what has been his, I guess, wife or his partner for decades now, uh, my mom just, you know, 
I was like, what's, what's going on with Woody Allen? Cause I'm a child. I'm like, why, you know, has he done something bad here? And he got, she just said, he's just a little creep. <laughs> and then <she> moved on. <laughs> like, and it's one of those things I'm very comfortable and not the unknown in particular when it comes to people's personal lives and especially their love lives. So the whole thing with Mia Farrow and him, uh, obviously not good, but I, I'm comfortable in not knowing that I'll never know for sure. So if he starts making a series of films about marriage story and it's about starting to date uh, your former lover's like adopted child, probably not. I'll probably tap out of that one, but I'm willing to bet he's not going to get the financial backing to <laughs> oh, make yeah. that particular film at this juncture. But no, as far as going back to revisit something like Midnight in Paris, I really only think about it. <laughs> in the context of we're putting something out there for public consumption in the privacy of my own home. I'm never thinking like, I wonder, I wonder about Woody Allen, what his sexual hangups are. <laughs> right. Cause life's too terrifying <laughs> as is. I don't need to imagine Woody Allen in any type of uh sexual position. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of interesting. You say that because my first lady friend who, who I, I had very, very strong and, what I imagine to be genuine feelings for, because how many times do you find somebody uh, in your life and you're like, oh my God, that person's very attractive and you develop a crush and you don't know if that's just like something that's purely physical or is that like, oh, I like them because they are this amazing person. But the one person, the first person that I can kind of attribute those genuine feelings to told me one time that I... Like my, oh God, I, I even, I'm embarrassed to say this because she said that my wit and my mannerisms were very much something that she saw in a Woody Allen film. And so that, for whatever reason, I, I saw that as kind of like a little metal on, on you know, on the... <laughs> it's kind of like the a... internet changed that for you. <laughs> they certainly <laughs> did. No, but like I, I. And I was already kind of deep into his his uh, filmography, especially the classics. Obviously, Manhattan. Imagining you, like the, the New Hope sequence where film Twitter comes and strips you, you know, Luke <laughs> whoever you are, <laughs> all proud of yourself and shit. Nope, <laughs> we're gonna take that. You're not Woody Allen, uh, and uh, Web. I assure you, my mom would not call you a little creep. How about I, that? I'll I come hope. to your defense. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, I, I was already very much, uh, it was kind of cool to, uh, uh, be, no, because Woody Allen was, and I loved his stand-up comedy, I loved his albums, and it just, uh, it was kind of exciting to be compared to somebody who is a comic genius, who's a wonderful screener, a wonderful filmmaker, I love, Manhattan is probably my favorite of, even though I have, I have gaps. Is that the most, that's the most problematic one too, right? Because that's about dating an underage. It is. <laughs> it is. All right. <laughs> well, I'm walking the line here. Jesus, man, go to crimes and misdemeanors. Have some. <laughs> have some respect. I, I'm. I have these gaps in his filmography, though. Like Hannah and her sisters. Like I still have to see that, and that's looked mm, as okay. one of the best. Um, and so when you mentioned uh, Midnight in Paris, which is the film that kind of ignited this second trilogy. I'm like, I haven't seen that one. And maybe it's because every per every male protagonist in his f later films is a version of Woody Allen. Mm -hmm. And I'm yeah. like, can, can, can Owen Wilson really handle that task? And I think he did wonderfly. Like, I, I this is I think the he's next the best evolution. Stand in for Woody Allen. 
and there have been some bad ones. There's there have been some rough mm-hmm. attempts at this. Uh, Kenneth Branagh's celebrity. I think that's the one where he is doing his version of Woody, and it's almost like a direct impression of Woody. Uh, not great, not great, Bob. Oh, but Owen Wilson. You know, I, I think if you were not a cinephile, I think you would just think this is Owen Wilson just doing kind of Owen Wilson-y things. Yeah. Like he's kind of neurotic. Yep. And so it's like it's a it's a natural melding uh, of these, these two uh, having similar sort of comedic deliveries, I guess. And at, actually when the film premiered at Cannes, uh, Woody Allen said this in the uh, panel where oh, – actually, excuse me, Owen Wilson said this about Woody Allen is that he allowed me to – take the dialogue and not so much adapt it but i didn't have to get every single word right and it, it allowed him to be very comfortable with the material and he was worried because everyone had told him that oh woody doesn't direct and and woody allen kind of admitted to as much he's like the the key thing is casting like if i hire the right people for these parts it's all going to come together and, and thankfully uh, um like i'll be able to take the credit for it later on you know, well there's an expectation it's like you you know your your trade <laughs> so you, you know if you you read the script you responded to it i think you're the right fit for it yep he nails it with own actually he nails it i think with everyone in this this film uh you know rachel mcadams is someone in particular that i Adore, I know. She is she is playing the the black hat heel here. She is playing the one that you're supposed to despise, and she she does some not so nice things to her fiance, having an affair in Paris, and saying it's because he's too busy walking around to join (laughs) the city. That's the excuse. Well, it is a toss up between her and and Michael Sheen. Like, which one of them is the worst? Yeah, you're right. Michael Sheen is worse because at least Rachel McAdams, she's adorable anyway. I don't know. I th- maybe someone would come back with the argument that it's like she's worse for agreeing with this pompous ass. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, like we've all met a jerk, but the fact that she then – she somewhere she's smart enough to know this guy is a jackass. And she's is he doing it to like twist the knife on oh. her fiancé to be yep. disagreeable with him, like her dissatisfaction with his – I don't know, enthusiasm for, for Paris. It's a weird thing to be <laughs> like, you're there with your fiance. And it's like, why are you trying to uh, stifle his like passion for the city that you currently are like vacationing in with his family and openly belittling him. Like I think after the first or second night, uh, Owen Wilson has with uh, his artistic idols, uh, he's he's correcting Michael Sheen's character uh, as he's lecturing, <laughs> and she's like, "I came here to listen to him, not you." Okay, and mm-hmm. in those moments, you, you, I, I think you're right. She does kind of try. It's one thing to be an asshole; it's another thing to for, to find the asshole who's backing up the asshole. So, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Is that, a, that do you know which film? Because isn't there another? Alan movie that, that that's a callback to where they're they're like arguing in like a movie theater line uh or Woody Allen is listening overhearing I mean, that's, someone that's like Annie Hall pontificate and okay so that's so it's a callback to that where it's like no we actually have the expert here yes <laughs> yes <laughs> um you know which, nothing you know, of my I, work <laughs> like I love yeah. oh. <laughs>
there's there's a lot I, that I think personally appeals to me about Midnight in Paris because um, I, I like stories about people who have uh, wanderlust, but like you know, certainly something like Into the Wild, uh, Sean Penn's uh, film adaptation of that that story. Uh, I can admire uh, what Chris McCandless does in that story. And I want no part of it. Like, like there's like my, my wonderless stops. There's a certain level of comfort and uh, safety <laughs> that I want in my wonderlust. And I think that's what, I mean, Midnight in Paris is the Woody Allen movie that I watched the most. Cause I, I probably watch it. This came up cause you and I were, I think we were exchanging like comfort food movies. Like, you know, what's one you just go like, uh, you know, I've, I've had a rough week at work and uh, I, I said Midnight in Paris. That's, that's what I go to. And it's because it gives me that glimpse of someone that is more like myself. Now I've never uh, been cheated on by Rachel McAdams. And if I had, I would, I would still say thank you for your service <laughs> <laughs> for, for allowing me the opportunity to have this particular heartbreak. Uh, and he is, you know, a successful screenwriter that is attempting to walk away from that, uh, to take a step back. None of that. Never been to Paris as you and I discussed off mic, but his, Wanderlust still has the requirement of the comforts, the comfort food of his literary idols. He still wants to be, he wants an adventure, but he wants to be around people that he already knows. He's never met them, but he already knows them. And I totally get that. I told, like, it is, and I, I think it's something like, it, it's, you know, a particular neuroses that a Woody Allen character would have, that he gets to time travel but he still gets to walk into the room and have his bearings somewhat. It's a fantastical situation, but he's going to have a degree of comfort and respect for the people that he's on this adventure with. Uh, and like some, you know, a version of a cheat sheet that I, I definitely would like if I was going to do a bit of time traveling myself, I would like to, I would like to know all of the ins and outs of the particular characters I'm going to be involved with. Yeah. The film doesn't just stop there. It's not just enough that the time traveling is happening. But it's a great analysis, and, and uh, I hate to give that Michael Sheen character any credit, but he does oh, God. <laughs> the golden age thinking uh, that he mentions um, that's kind of prevalent throughout the film, that we long for a different time. And how many times have you seen something or listened to something? Like, I can't tell you how many times I put on like a Beatles album. I'm like, God, I would have loved to have grown up uh, during Beatlemania and experience them live. And I watched recently a YouTube video of Ringo Starr talking about the last time that he met John Lennon. And I'm like in tears because like, like I'll, I'll never be able to experience them all four as a unit or, or I'll watch, you know, a Francis Ford Coppola film back when he was, you know, a proper filmmaker or not. <laughs> I, I kid, I kid. <laughs> it's what he, he makes wine now. I think he's very successful yeah, in that, true. sir. Um, uh, one of the behind-the-scenes featurettes of the film "One from the Heart," which I love. It's, I think it's a great uh, Coppola film that nobody really gives a crap about, but it's his attempt to do like a musical <laughs> rom-com. Every filmmaker's got that, right? They've got the itch to do their version of a musical. Yeah, yeah. And he had, like, uh, Fred Astaire, I think, on set helping kind of, and giving pointers to everyone. And so one of the things that is is in the behind-the-scenes feature is people in line waiting to go see this movie, and they are 
wondering how it's going to be. Uh, and it's so amazing to me that it's like, oh my gosh, there was a time when people were excited about a movie like uh, One from the Heart where film was a proper hobby and not kind of the pastime that it's become. I would love to be in a in a in a queue for for getting a ticket to be let into this new film by Coppola, a follow up to The Godfather and all that. And, and can I ask you a question here? Yeah, yeah. Not on time travel, but do you? Because we actually were discussing our age disparity, such as it is, where you're you're still a young buck. You know, oh you're my fear aisle, You're out there <laughs> procreating. Out there. I have. I have uh, bad knees and like, you know, like it's it's tough for me to, to podcast because I, I get stiff in the joints. You know this this marathon session we're on, but I have a memory, and it's still from childhood. It, I mean the the cutoff by the time I was of driving age, it was gone at least in my area. But I remember waiting outside in winter months in the cold uh, to get a ticket when they had the outside oh, the, the boost. That, that, yeah, and I and it. <laughs> It's one of those things like you're talking about the golden age. I like that image. I like I like that. Me and my dad, like, uh, mm-hmm. we were waiting in line to get tickets. Um, well, one of them I remember was last of Mohicans, and we get up there, they were sold out. And <laughs> oh, he like, freaked my out. <laughs> he freaked out because they uh, he had no backup. He didn't know what to pick, <laughs> and I, I think it was me, like you know tugging on this looking up at the old man like what about sneakers it's robert redford and, like, and he, of course he's like no that's no last of the mohicans we can't watch it what is this but that's that's a memory i cherish having yeah those little moments that but looking back i'm like why were we ever waiting outside why were we in the fucking cold like <laughs> they, they have lobby space what were, what were we doing then uh i'm just assuming because you're such a young whippersnapper that you don't you don't have those experiences of I remember, I mean, okay, though this is (laughs) referencing our labs episode, The Dark Knight. I remember purchasing, being online, wanting to get the IMAX tickets for that first show. And IMAX had the first come, first serve uh, thing with the seats, so waiting in line for that. So not quite the same thing. And even with my kid, like my daughter is going, we're going to have that moment where it's like, hey, you want to watch this? And be like, yeah. And then we'll press a button on Apple TV and start watching it immediately. Like, that's going to be our, you know, that's it. We're not going to have those. There will be no, what do you mean we can't watch The Last of the Mohicans? Right. Too many streams. We got to go to sneakers. (laughs) Now's the time. There's only so many Daniel Day performances, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) I hope. Oh gosh! I hope. I hope Is this gonna be a comment of how sad we're talking about? All right, you have Owen Wilson that wants to go back to the twenties in Paris, and he wants to to talk to Salvador Dali or uh, Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> I'm like, you know, what was great, but also kind of sucked getting sold out of Last Mohicans. <laughs> Those were the days, 1992. Just wanted to see what Michael Mann had to right. had to offer back then, and couldn't. <laughs> You're talking about One from the Heart, a film that most people hate. Right. (laughs) Clearly, we're not the romantics that we need to be to talk about this film.
getting back to the golden age thinking, though, that's something that we all do. And this film goes right at it. And, and it really felt like an attack on some of the things that I either believed or still believe. And watching Owen Wilson's character, Gil, go through that revelation with uh, Marion Cotard's character that, oh, she wants to stay in, like, the 1870s or, or whatever, whatever year they could, they go back uh, a few times after uh, they've initially time-traveled. 18, 1890s, 90s? I okay. think. But she, uh, she, yeah, she's she wasn't asking for as much, was she? She's, no. <laughs> that's a woman after my own heart. She's just, <laughs> I'm talking about something 30 years ago, that's where she's at, and he's he's almost almost hitting the century mark. Uh, so, yeah, just a little bit of a bigger bigger jump for him. Uh, but, yeah, that's where he has that revelation. Right, which I I like that actually he's he doesn't credit the douchebag. No, <laughs> he's like, no, I, I came I came to this on my own. <laughs> it was my own experiences, not not that speech uh, uh, he gives at the beginning. But you know, I it's an interesting film in that way because depending on I guess it is depending on the experience, it makes the sentiment more valid. So when I'm listening to Michael Sheen. Uh, just tear into this guy for just being like, oh, what a what an idiot! Like, don't you know? Like, that's that's the, you know they they probably didn't like living back then. Why would you enjoy it? You'd get tired of that too. But he actually gets to meet and have personal relationships with people and bring his own experience of doing the same thing to try to. And I actually like in that sequence with uh, Cotillard that he's he doesn't give her like the hard sell. He's just like you know eventually. Eventually, you're going to reach the same conclusion that I just now am. So he's not even coming at it that, hey, I'm an expert. I'm speaking with, like, this is concrete proof. He's like, but yeah, you know, you're going to run into people who think, no, this isn't the greatest age. It's just something about Michael Sheen is just such a keyboard warrior. <laughs> it's like he is telling you this is definitively how someone should think with no basis for it. He has no, no one has any actual experience with this fantasy concept. To, to actually put it to the test. One of the things that Ian Malcolm's character uh, in, in Jurassic Park mentions is that like, you stand on the shoulder of giants and you take the work that other people have done and you just be turning it into this uh, form of consumerism. And you so you don't have the responsibility of it. You don't have uh, to worry about that. And that's kind of what's happening here is Owen Wilson's arriving at this conclusion by undergoing these experiences, whereas Michael Sheen's is like, I read this in a book somewhere and I'm just kind of like using it to lecture you. Uh, and the great and it kind of crescendos with with uh, the line. Like, that, uh, that's what the present is. It's a little unsatisfying because life is a little unsatisfying. And uh, uh, when he says that, it just it, it sums it up perfectly. And and. Uh, I'm so happy that he's able to go through that. And even the revelation that, oh, his, his significant other is cheating on him. It doesn't grind the movie to any kind of a halt, and it doesn't take a left turn. He kind of takes it in stride, and he's like, I know now what I have to do. And he's able to kind of move on. And he tells her, he's like, I think it's this, this you're going to be so much happier without me. <laughs> Which her parents are quick to jump in. <laughs> oh, like, yes, gosh. we agree. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> We're all on the same page here. Yep. And, and I I loved that that's where the film ultimately went. Um, I'm thrilled that it didn't get bogged down with 
here's how. And I can't imagine even Woody Allen writing this scene where it's like, I'm going to explain time travel here and why this all makes sense. I'm so thankful. You don't, you don't want him to use the, the looper thing where we have uh, you know a bald, <laughs> disgruntled Bruce Willis coming in, <laughs> calling Owen Wilson like a, a punk. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not, we're not going to waste our time with this. Uh, you go round and round about it. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, the most you get into that as far as the world building is that some poor private investigator gets lost in time. Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you go back to Inception, he's he goes to a purgatory <laughs> that he can never escape. <laughs> It's just a visual gag. That's all it is. It's just a joke. Uh, a tremendous gag. Be. And actually, I like the idea that him going, Owen Wilson going back in time is kind of kind of affecting things because he's able to read uh, Marion Cotillard's a journal later on. And it's uh, what a wonderful little like comedic gag that is, where he's looking as soon as he reads uh, the passage about the dream and the earrings. He's like, I need to go find some earrings so that I can make love to this lady in the past. Like I. <laughs> Just that's the kind of stuff that, uh, and actually, I, I watched this movie a couple times uh, before, after my initial watch because I just like yeah, I immediately I was like I need to watch this again. I was so happy that you recommended it, and so unhappy with myself not having seen it when it came out and, and been enjoying it since 2011. So I've got nine years of of, of, of lost time to make up for. Yeah, I mean, just uh, just one last, I guess, little personal anecdote is uh, I'm pretty sure, and maybe this contributes to it being comfort food, this was like the first, I guess, theatrical movie I saw like after a breakup of like a like a long relationship, <laughs> like years worth long. And I guess the refreshing feeling <laughs> that I felt as far as like <laughs> the possibilities are endless as far as like where you can go from here. Uh, you know, the, the breezy attitude, which you mentioned Owen Wilson saying this is for the best was refreshing and was exactly what I needed in that particular moment to make, <laughs> not to comfort me, but to make me feel less like an asshole for feeling that way. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, no, it's all fine. It's good. It's gonna, things are going to work out. And this movie has it has its own happy ending not not the one maybe people would have wanted uh since i'm one of them i'm i'm a, a mal fan from inception so it's <laughs> like you know I, I hate to leave <laughs> this version of mal back in the in the past but yeah he he ends up meeting someone that shares his sensibilities and appreciation for this particular city which is the uh our, our strange uh, thematic uh connective tissue here for this this trilogy is the the city of paris mhm and uh, we'll we'll definitely dig into that next week. I'm I'm real excited uh, to kind of. I'm I'm worried. I'm worried that we're <laughs> we're stretching. Which is always good to hype up the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I'm deeply concerned about next week's episode. Uh, always a good teaser. 